Hi, I'm Rick Sperling. This is Compassionate Las Vegas, the podcast. Welcome to Compassionate Las Vegas, the podcast where we highlight the strength of our city, the spirit of our people, and share your stories of compassion. Welcome back. This is Compassionate Las Vegas, the podcast. I'm your host, Will Rucker, and let me just tell you, I am so thankful for you listening today and for all of the amazing comments and feedback this podcast has been receiving. So many people are just craving something different, something positive, and something to remind them that there is hope, and I am just eternally grateful that this podcast is doing just that. Each episode has gotten better and better, and our guests are just such phenomenal people. I want to have them on like a hundred times because these short moments just aren't enough for me, and I know that they're not enough for you. So in season two, expect to have some, some of these people back and sharing their stories in deeper, even more fascinating ways. Today's guest is truly a treat for me personally. This is a walk down memory lane for me, so excuse a little bit of a nostalgia happening in it. So let me tell you about our guest today. Rick Sperling is a world-renowned arts educator, a community arts and creative youth development pioneer. Rick is the founder and artistic director emeritus of Mosaic Youth Theater of Detroit, which he began as a way to address what he calls gaps in arts education through the metro Detroit area. During Rick's 27 years of leadership, Mosaic became a fixture on Detroit's arts scene while frequently earning national media attention. It is known for the high quality and high energy of its performances and its ability to propel its students into performing arts careers and other successes, which you will hear about at the end of today's episode. His most recent endeavor is Sperling Arts Strategies LLC, which serves as the arts consultant for Detroit Public Schools. Leading the Detroit School of Arts Pathways Initiative, connecting 24 arts partners with the Detroit School of Arts, and creating middle school arts conservatories. This is Compassionate Las Vegas, the podcast. You are truly in for a treat. Now let's get into it. Rick, welcome to the podcast. I am so grateful and humbled that you chose to join us today. You are just such an inspiration and have been such an intricate part of my life since I was a child. So it's kind of cool <laughs> to, to have you here today. And you are in Ann Arbor, is that right? I'm in Ann Arbor now, yes. Ann Arbor, Michigan. So I'm in yes. Vegas, you're in Ann Arbor, but we're still connected by technology, right? Absolutely. And we both have Detroit in our hearts. That's right. Absolutely. <laughs> so I just want to have a conversation today and your influence not just on myself, but on so many hundreds, probably thousands of youth over the years, to me embodies compassion. And your experience, the people that you've touched, I think it goes far beyond just the art sphere. But I think the arts are so important in instilling compassion and understanding and empathy in others that I, I said I have to have them on the podcast. Well, I'm thrilled to be here, and I'm very proud of you as well. Uh, it's very excited to be interviewed by one of uh, my former students. Well, thank you. So my first question is a tough one. It's the hardest okay. of the entire show. All right, I'm ready. Okay. Who are you, and how do you define compassion? What was the first part? Who are you? Who am I? 
Yes. Okay. So as you know me, I'm Rick Sperling. I um, founded an organization in 1992 called Mosaic Youth Theater of Detroit. Uh, I did that at the age of 26. I uh, had been a actor and a director professionally and semi-professionally until then, and kind of found my calling in starting this organization, which though it says theater in the name, you know very well, is very much known for its music as well, um, because the Mosaic Singers uh, have traveled around the world uh, under under your direction of Ken Anderson and then um, uh, the current artistic director of Mosaic, uh, Delachey Strader. Uh, the music has been has been a, a big part of it. Uh, in the end of high school and in college, I started to get the feeling that theater could do more than just entertain. Oh yeah, and that it wasn't just about um, it wasn't just about whether I was going to make it to Broadway or success in the theater, uh, but it was having a greater a greater impact and. Um, and it's interesting, even back then, uh, music was a huge part of it. Um, and uh, even though I'm not a musical person, I love music, but I'm not a musical person, uh, and I, but I've always been able to collaborate with really, really wonderful uh, musicians um, to, to create that. So that's kind of, I, I, I retired from Mosaic uh, officially uh, in September. Of, After of, how many uh, years? For 27 years. 27. Wow. So do the math. I'm 53 years old now. <laughs> um, and I think one of the things that made me most proud, and it was always kind of part of the, the dream, was that I was able to hand over the baton to an alumni. Uh, and that was kind of the dream in the beginning of Mosaic was build this thing and then, and then let the young people who were doing it, you know, really uh, take it forward to the next step. And um, and Delachey just turned out to be the right person, um, so I was able to do that. Right now, I'm consulting for the Detroit Public Schools. I'm a kind of an arts consultant, but my full-time consultancy right now is for the Detroit Public Schools Community District, and that is to try to bring focus on arts excellence within the district. Uh, the the superintendent is um, is very committed to the arts. And what's it mostly been about is making sure that every school has some form of the arts, which is a big step forward. But then he brought me into focus because this is kind of a specialty in Mosaic to focus on Detroit School of the Arts and developing a feeder pattern to really uh, uh, bring excellence. And so the thing I'm probably most proud of with that so far is that we brought in 24 organizations to partner with the district, including Mosaic. Wow. Um, to support the students, to support the students and support the um, the uh, teachers. Uh, of course, you know, in the current situation, that's all been put on hold, but uh, we're excited about hopefully what we can do uh, next year. Okay, that was the easy part. Now, how do I describe compassion? Um, I think, I think compassion really, and I think this is why it connects with the arts, is really about putting yourself in someone else's shoes. Um, I, I think that recently that's been criticized a little bit um, because the feeling is that maybe that's 
that's too weak of a perspective when there's things going on that are really uh, bad in, 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 in the, in the universe, but I, in the world. And, but I think even if you, at the end of the day, uh, don't agree with somebody, I think that putting yourself in their shoes uh, allows you to understand. Um, and, um, and I think that's what the arts does uh, better than anything. Um, because in order to be an artist, um, unless you are, you know, maybe Prince who writes everything, plays every instrument and sings every song, yeah. you're generally taking something that somebody else wrote and you're trying to bring it alive. And in order to do that, you've got to have empathy. Mm-hmm. You've got to put yourself in the shoes of that writer and who they're talking about and what they're expressing. Um, and, uh, but at the same time, you're always you when you perform. You're never anybody else. No matter what actors may tell you about, oh, I became another person. You're always you. So there's something very powerful about that mixture, mm. about having to put yourself in someone else's shoes, but also to be you. And I remember I, I, I had a, before I retired, I had a couple of workshops with the Mosaic singers. I'm focused with the actors, singers over there. But I was, what I was trying to tell them is every song that you sing is about you, is your story. Um, so that they would be more invested in what they're singing. Uh, they would put more of themselves into it. But before you, it can be about you, you've got to understand what the writer is trying to say, what the, what the song is trying to say. And then you have to make it personal for yourself. When have I felt that way? Or if I've never felt that way, what would make me feel that way? Mm-hmm. Um, and that act, I think, is, is really powerful in terms of seeing the world. Um, um, because it's not, uh, I always like the difference between sympathy and empathy. You know, sympathy is you stand aside, but you can't do art without having empathy. You've got to, you, 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 you are connecting yourself to what the other person is feeling, the writer or the character or the situation. And um, yeah, so that's, that, that's the, the main connection I see. And I, I hope I answered your question about what compassion is. <laughs> Absolutely. And we're going to tweet out, you can't do art without empathy, because I think that is huge. And life is really art. And I think beauty is what saves the world in the end. And what is more beautiful than art, whether it's music, theater, dance, visual? I mean, all of that together is what really makes the human experience worth having. And I think Mosaic has done a great job of that, blending so many different types of people. So I came from the suburbs, but of course, a lot of the population was was inner city. And so it exposed me to people I would never have otherwise met. How did you blend these polar opposites in a way that they were able to create such beautiful masterpieces and create lasting friendships? So it's very interesting. When we first started, I was interviewed by someone from WDT, our, our, our NPR station, and she came to a rehearsal and she saw that diversity. And in the early days, the diversity was even you know, more in terms of 
race and religion. I think now it's it's a little bit more on the economic side that you see the diversity and, and geographic side. But she looked around and she said, how are you doing this? How are you getting all these kids to work together? And I said, we put them in the same room and we said, we have a play to do. And I hate to be overly simplistic, <laughs> <laughs> but there's something really powerful about that. And you know, when you were there, you worked your butt off. Absolutely. You know, Ken was incredibly demanding. You had these concerts that you had to do and you had to be great. So you had to work with the people next to you. You ha- And then, you know, there was break and people got to know each other. But I think the idea of, of working together on a common goal is, is powerful. You know, I think anybody that says, we want you to come in and we're going to do a diversity seminar. That's okay. But I think the real transformation happens when you actually have to work together. And there's a good example of that in Detroit. And, 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 and it's changed over the year, but there was a thing called Concert of Colors. And it was um, run by this person named Ishmael Ahmed, who was at the time the executive director of Access, which is the Arab American community economic. I, I can't remember what it means, but it's really, it's, it's the, the, the most comprehensive, largest Arab American support organization in the country. Um, and he's also happens to be a world music fan. And <laughs> yeah. And so these, these two things were there. And so he started this thing called concert of colors and concert of colors used to be at outdoors. And then it was been a DSO and now, you know, it's going different places. But what he did was he got this committee together to, to, to organize the concert through New Detroit. Remember, New Detroit was about diversity. But he said, okay, we're going to get all these people together and we're going to plan this. And so they had representatives of the, of the Jamaican community, of the organized Jewish community, of um, Asian American, uh, uh, um, all these different groups, Arab American, obviously. And we got together to plan the Concert of Colors. And then the Concert of Colors happened and people all came and it was wonderful, it was a diverse audience. Um, and they got to see all these different diversity on stage and that's all wonderful. But his genius, Ishmael Ahmed's genius, you should have him on the show someday. Ishmael Ahmed's genius was that he knew that getting us all together to plan the concert was where the real real community building and diversity uh, uh, was about. Mm. And so the people that I was on that committee from, that was 20 years ago. I see them anywhere and they're my friend. And if I need something and it's connected to their community or they need something, you know, they'll call on me. And so you develop those kind of relationships when you have to do something together. So really I think with Mosaic, one of the really powerful things was the focus on excellence. Yeah, um, nothing less. That was our motto. Thank you. <laughs> uh, only the best, nothing less. And and I I, I I like that I still hear that from alumni. But what that meant was, and I always say to clarify, it's not it's not conceded. It's not saying we're the best. 
uh, or that you can't be in mosaic if you're the best. It was really came to say, if we're here, if we somehow got to rehearsal, which isn't always the easiest thing in Metro Detroit, if we got to rehearsal, then we're going to do our best and we're not going to accept anything less than that. Now, our best is only our best. You know, we can only control that. But what we found, and, and you found a lot of alumni held on to that after Mosaic when they felt like maybe they weren't challenging themselves enough. Maybe they weren't being ambitious enough in terms of what they're capable of doing. And I think the other thing I remember, I can't remember what we did back when you were there, but we have this banquet every year now. And, um, and I, I, for about three or four years in a row, I said the same thing and got the same response. As I got up there, I said, okay, this is wonderful. Great year. Our final concert was great. Our final show was great. But I want you to think back of a time that you went home from rehearsal and said, I can't do this. This is too hard. And there was kind of a murmur of, of agreement. And then I said, and maybe you cried. And everybody was like, oh, I thought it was just me. <laughs> <You know? laughs> and, uh, and, and I said, remember this, because you had this great thing, but remember that there was a time that you didn't think you could do it. That you went home and cried because this is too hard, but you didn't quit and you did it. So remember that in the future, because when you come to a point where it seems impossible, uh, remember, remember that you ended up with this beautiful concert, this beautiful play at the end. Um, and, and so I think that's the, the, the excellence part. And, and it, there's a lot of different organizations like Mosaic around the country and, um, and we all handle things a little bit differently. Um, but for us, we really thought there was something transformational about the focus on excellence mm -hmm. and about pushing yourself beyond what you thought you could do. In other organizations, sometimes I think they feel like, you know, we don't want to push that hard. Um, but for us, we, we want kind of tough love. You know, we want to push hard, but we also want to support you. We want to have a community there. And, you know, I know for you and so many other alumni, that's what, in a lot of ways, they remember about Mosaic more than anything else is that sense of community. Um, but in, in, for some reason, for our special sauce, if you're not pushing people to really go beyond what they think they can do, I'm not sure, um, I'm not sure you connect as much. Yeah, I think that concept is so important and key in this moment that we're in with a global pandemic. The reason that we're doing this via Zoom instead of, you know, in person is because, well, not just the distance, but social distancing. Yeah. And so this is something that's hard. This moment in history is something that is unique and new, and it's harder than anything we've ever been through. And a lot of people do feel like this is too much. A lot of people do cry and I encourage people to experience the moment, especially those that are leaders, like let yourself be not okay for a minute. This is hard. But I think that that background being pushed to excellence, knowing that you can accomplish the impossible really is something we should utilize in this space and time. I do think back to, I think it was crossing eight mile <laughs> and they made me dance. I don't dance. <laughs> <laughs> I can rock a little, but that's about it, you know, but I, I had to dance. And then I felt so great on that stage doing the routine. And 
I'm still not a dancer, but <laughs> I, I was pushed. And so now I'm not afraid to try anything because in part of that type of experience. So how have you used those hard moments to get through this hard moment? Yeah, I, I think that, um, I think this is actually a tremendous moment where people can see the value of, of art. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, uh, all of the things, not only all of the things that have been online and the Zoom things, I and mean, I don't know if you saw, you know, the thing where the original cast of Hamilton all sang together on Zoom. No, but I'll uh, look it up. I'll look it up. It's on, um, it's called the Good News Network. It's the guy, uh, uh, Jim, uh, the guy who used to play Jim on, on Office, on The okay. Office. And, and look it up. It's amazing. But there's all those things that are really wonderful. Um, but, um, but to go back now and to have the time because you're home, that I think the arts can reach us now in a way that to a certain extent, nothing else, it's hard for anything else to reach us. Um, and it plays a profound role. We're all watching, um, you know, whether it be Netflix or anything like that, those are all artists that are creating those things. Uh, a person that I um, went to college with who uh, uh, is one of the greatest puppeteers in the, in the world right now named Basil Twist. Uh, just, I just put on my Facebook, uh, um, he did a, a little puppet thing. I, I make it sound so much less than it is, but an incredibly powerful thing for the healthcare workers in New York. He's in, he's in New York. And the arts can respond to something like this. I, 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 want, I was just thinking today, I want to start a hashtag so you can help me start it. And the hashtag is arts. And then the little greater than symbol, mm-hmm. arts greater than COVID. I love it. Um, and, you know, just there's so many times right now where, and it's hard. I mean, it, it's the thing I think that is the hardest for us who are artists, who especially people that do work like theater and choral music is there's nothing like the experience of being in that room. There's nothing like being in the audience and having a shared live experience. And that's scary right now because it is scary that we don't know when or how that's going to happen again, um, where you're packed into a Broadway theater or you're packed into a concert hall or you're packed into a church. You know, it's, 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 so that I think is the part that, um, you know, I'm most, most concerned about and afraid of is will we be able to get that back and how how will we be able to get that experience back but the other part you know i mean you know without arts uh uh i don't know how i would make it through that and even within my family my 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 wife is a visual artist and she's been making masks really cool interesting beautiful masks that's awesome uh, I, I decided, you know, there's this there's this one man show that I've been thinking about that some uh, that someone I know wrote. I was like, well, maybe I need to do that, you know, online. Um, and my daughter, who's five years old, I have a daughter, adult daughter who's in Chicago, but my five year old is doing, um, you know, is constantly doing art. And so, this has always been the case, but I feel like in this situation, it's highlighted more. Uh, how 
to use an overused word at this time, how essential having those artistic experiences are. Yeah, we've discovered what is truly essential in this time. And I think that's a, a awesome byproduct. While I wouldn't have chosen necessarily this experience, one thing I can say for sure is people are starting to recognize that it's the little things that are the big things. And you know, our time with each other is so precious now and people are doing drive-by wavings at their grandma because they can't come in the house. And you right. know, the things that we just took for granted are now really starting to register in our consciousness as important. We've been so busy with other things and so consumed, but now we're seeing, you know what, this is what matters. And the one thing that is kind of penetrating it all is absolutely music and art and theater. On Instagram, they're doing these like battles of the stars. So, you know, major legends are doing concerts via Instagram and comparing hit to hit and just doing things we, we never would have experienced otherwise. So I, I'm not happy about COVID, but I do look for that silver lining. And that is certainly one that is powerful. Now, I want to ask another kind of question and change the conversation just a bit. In my experience, when people have been immersed in art, they're more accepting of people who are different or appear different. And they recognize that, you know what, underneath it all, we all have the essential same values and core, core needs and desires. How can we transform our politics using those same principles? Given that I think uh, you had protests in Michigan recently about opening up, which is a valid point, like we wanna get back to normalcy. And you have the people that are like, no, stay at home because we want to stay alive. You know? yeah. So balancing those two very legitimate viewpoints, how do you see that? Yeah, it's, it's, it's interesting. I remember um, back to the idea of having to work together. Um, when I was a college student at Oberlin, um, uh, Oberlin College, there was a lot of, of tension uh, between the African-American community and the Jewish community, um, mostly kind of around, around Israel. And, um, and I was kind of in the middle because I had a lot of African-American friends and I'm Jewish. And so I, I was kind of in the middle. And I remember I, I went to uh, my RA, uh, who was an older woman, not a student. So she was probably the, the, the house director, not the RA. And she had a long history of doing, you know, um, multicultural um, uh, uh, activism and community organizing. And I said, you know, what do we do here? And she said, you know, I don't know what to tell you because every time that I brought people together, it's been because there was a common cause. And there was a common issue. So we were, we were against you know, predatory lenders, and we were against, you know, uh, um, uh, uh, landlords that were not, you know, just, then you are bringing together all the different people from all the different backgrounds, and they're all working together. And that's, that. so she was kind of saying, I don't know how you do it in the abstract. Um, and so I, I do think that, you know, we have to find um, those common causes. W one thing that hit me besides the seven o'clock, you know, applause, which I think is wonderful, is 
if you're as old as, as I am, you remember when things happened and the country united because of those things. Um, when there were uh, hostages in Iran, uh, there was this movement to tie a yellow ribbon around your, 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 uh, your fence post. And it was the song by Tony Orlando and Don, tie a yellow ribbon around the old oak tree. And basically was saying, we're, you know, we're here for you. When you come home, you know, we're waiting for you. And it, it was, you know, it was just symbolic, but everybody was doing that. Everybody was, was doing that. I think after 9-11, um, there was this moment, uh, maybe not as much for the, for the Muslim or Arab American community, uh, as, but there was a moment uh, where people were kind of like, we're all Americans. And, um, and a lot Why of- Why do you think we're not having that moment right now? It's, it's strange. I mean, first of all, I think, and I'm not new in this concept, is that we all see different things. We all have our own news, our own media. I remember, you know, they did a, uh, you know, they brought back Roots. And, um, uh, and, and I didn't see it. And a lot of other people didn't see it because it was one more thing. But when I was a kid and Roots was on TV, every family was watching Roots. Everyone was watching Roots. And so, what, you know, we came to, 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 to uh, uh, school the next day. Everybody was talking about it. Um, everybody watched the same three networks to get their news. Um, uh, and, and, you know, there was another ministry, the Holocaust. Everybody watched the Holocaust. There, there was this sense of having a national experience that I feel like it's really hard to have right now because everybody's getting their own facts, getting their own news. And, um, and. Is that why a script or a score is so important in a production? Would you say? Yeah. I mean, I think that, you know, you come together as an ensemble, you got to tell the story. Um, uh, uh, one of uh, uh, one of the cool things with this is I've been watching a lot more these online things, and the the, the guy who was the director of Le Mis uh, when it first came to New York from London um, uh, uh, was being interviewed. I thought it was fascinating. Uh, they had this very successful show in England, and um, he brought them to 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 uh, uh, brought it to New York. And instead of just kind of taking the blocking and taking what was done in LA and just adding these new actors, he had them learn the music, but while learning the music, they didn't work on the script at all. They just did improvisation. And the actors were like, what's going on? It's like weeks and weeks of improvisation. And what he said was, is that if we didn't do that, it couldn't have the magic here. If we're just copying somebody else's experience, we can't, it wouldn't be the same thing. It would be, you know, uh, and so, so yeah. So I think that idea that, you know, bringing yourself to a script, bringing yourself to um, a score, to, to a, a, a libretto, you, yeah, you have to come together. 
Um, you can't, uh, you're doing Shakespeare. You got this language. <laughs> you can't run away from it. You got to make it work. Um, so I do think that your, your point is well taken to go back to what we were saying before that, that having a script, having a project uh, to work on um, does bring people together. And I don't know, you know, what that, uh, what that thing would do that would kind of, um, you know, capture, uh, capture the country right now. But I think it's a good, it's a good question. If anything can do it, it would be art. I agree. And you, you reminded me of how you started with, you have to bring yourself to every piece. So though you're embodying a particular character, you're still always you. You bring yourself to every piece of music, every song, every lyric. And I think in this moment, we have to recognize that while we are a collective, while we're a community, while we're a nation, we're still individuals and we have to recognize our individual responsibility and the impact that we can have as one voice. And then that one voice being amplified. So I am so grateful that you've chosen to amplify hope in this moment through the arts and share your story of compassion with Mosaic and the things that you're doing. Can, can people get in touch with you online? How do we see what, what's happening with Rick today? Sure. Um, I have a Facebook page called Sperling Arts Strategies. Sperling's S-P-E-R-L-I-N-G. Uh, so you can, you can uh, reach out to me on Facebook through that. Uh, and I have a very simple email address, which is ricksperling at gmail.com. No dot or anything. And that's my business email. Uh, I would tell people to reach out and find out about Mosaic. I know I'm, I'm an artistic director emeritus, but they're still doing wonderful work. And you can get to them, uh, uh, mosaicdetroit.org, M-O-S-A-I-C, detroit.org. And then generally, uh, Mosaic Detroit is their handle pretty on, much on Twitter and, and Instagram and everything else. And Delachey is doing a, a, a fantastic job uh, running the organization, keeping it uh, uh, going through the, these, these rough times. Um, but, you know, the arts, that's the other thing I would just say is that arts organizations really need your support right now because, um, you know, the, the way that they've been able to fund their programs, a big part of it has been selling tickets and having events and without those. Um, uh, so it's a great time, I think, to support not only Mosaic, but the arts organizations and the artists in your area that uh, are impacting you. Yeah, that's huge. And I encourage everyone listening and watching, please donate if you can, support in any way you can, stream, buy product, all of that does matter and it's important. The reason I moved to Las Vegas is because for me, the entire world came here. And so if I wanted to reach the world and I didn't have to travel as much, <laughs> Las Vegas was the place to do it. And so my, my church locally, every week we have guests from all over the world because they come to Vegas, they Google search some term and we pop up and they show up. Now, of course, we're online, but that was kind of the concept when we started. So know that Detroit is still in my heart and Mosaic, of course, has made me a lot of who I am. So um, just kind of in summary, to close us out, how are you embodying compassion day to day in this space? You know, really it's about 
supporting people the way you can, which is online, um, uh, as much as possible being there for people. Uh, were you in the company with uh, Richard Tucker? I was, and actually D. Lachey as well. And D. Lachey. So Richard just put online, who wants to listen to my new songs to figure out what's, what's, the, what, what, what's gonna be my next single? And I, I'm gonna be doing that tonight. I'm gonna tell them I'm gonna I'm gonna be fulfilling the white male early demographic. <laughs> yeah, Just, you know. Um, but I think that's really it. Is you know is is supporting people. Obviously, reaching out to people. Um, but you know, holding the, the the community that you have as tight as you can. And you know, we all complain about Facebook and other things, but I'm glad to have it at a time like this because it it, it really does. Uh, allow me to stay in people's lives. For sure. And since you introduced the idea, I will ask this final question. This, you know, I'm a preacher, so I get three closes on here. Okay. <laughs> the, the list of people that have come out of Mosaic, just top two or three, five, ten that have made an impact. I'll start with uh, Angela Burchett. She I was, was going to say, yeah. Clark Sisters movie on Lifetime and it's a long time coming. Uh, I was proud to be at her uh, Broadway debut when she was in The Color Purple on Broadway, just by tremendous coincidence. I was there with Mosaic when that happened. Um, Celia Keenan-Bolger, uh, who just won a Tony Award for uh, To Kill a Mockingbird, uh, is an alumni. Um, uh, Deanna Reasonover, who is a regular on the TV show NCIS, were you in the company with Deanna? I was, yeah. Deanna, I, I love the story of Deanna because her first year in Mosaic, she was so shy. She was so quiet that after the first year, I really wanted to sit down with her and say, maybe you should consider doing something else. <laughs> you're a nice kid. You're a smart kid. <laughs> and I decided not to do that. This kind of goes back to compassion. I decided not to do that because I said, you know, it's not my job. My job isn't to tell, you know, if she can audition and make it in, it's not my job to do it. And then she blossomed and now she has, you know, uh, uh, the, probably the best television career of anyone in, in the company. But I would say if we get everyone in the company her first year, make a circle and you know, or make a line and say, who's most likely to have a, 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 a big career in television? She would be very close to the back of the line. <laughs> the other person, uh, uh, um, uh, Diara Kilpatrick, uh, has been very successful both as a screenwriter uh, and as an actress and has produced web series and has been nominated for an Emmy Award. Um, Marla Pierce-Schloop uh, has been a, a designer from our tech program who has been nominated for multiple multiple Emmy Awards. Uh, uh, um, Raina White, who is a Broadway uh, uh, actress as well. Uh, I know I'm going to forget somebody, but in the past year, I'm proud to say that the past like 16 months, we've had five Mosaic alumni on Broadway. Nice. Uh, so that's been, that's been really, really thrilling. But as you know, I'm going to say, William, we're just as proud of the fact that we have alumni that are professional, you know, that are lawyers, that are designers, that are social workers, that are teachers, that are ministers, that are, um, running nonprofit organizations. Um, so really what we what we saw 
uh, I always said there was kind of a trick we played on you guys to a certain extent because you all were in there because you wanted to be great actors and singers. But what we knew was that no matter what you went on into, that this this experience was going to help you. But it's hard to tell that to a 16-year-old. <laughs> so, uh, so yeah, so we're just as proud. Of, we've had just a, a, a tremendous, and, you know, the statistic we always quote is that uh, uh, 95% of the young people that do Mosaic uh, go to college. Um, and, um, and colleges all across the country and all around, around the world. And even the 5% that don't go to college have been doing fantastic things. Um, so yeah, we say it's, uh, it's youth development through the arts or creative youth development is a new term. Um, but yeah, we've got a lot of people to, 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 to brag about and, and some of them have done, done great in the, oh, John Brown is another one that's doing really well in the R&B scene. So I could go on and on. Clifton Ross. The third, uh, which you were very familiar with, is still doing great stuff in the gospel world. Um, so, yeah, we're proud of them, but we're proud of, of all you guys. Awesome. Well, again, thank you for all that you do and have done for the world. And just thank you. That's what I'll, I'll end it with that. Thank you, William. Thank you. This has been Compassionate Las Vegas, the podcast. Thank you for listening. This episode was made possible by the Jameson Foundation in partnership with the Moonrich Group. There are so many amazing things happening and so many people have inspirational stories to share. So if you are one of those people, this is your platform. Email me at will at winningwithwill.com. Use the subject line Compassionate LV and let me know your story. I'd love to have you on the show or to feature your story in a future episode. Be sure to subscribe and if you haven't already, leave a five-star review. Your review and rating helps others to find this podcast and helps to further the mission to make Las Vegas a more compassionate place to live, work, and play. I also want you to share your compassionate practice with us. Today, Rick reminded us that you simply can't do art without empathy. We want you to share your wisdom too, so we would love for you to include it in your review. In case you didn't know, Compassionate Las Vegas, the podcast, is now on YouTube. If you want to not only hear these amazing stories, but see our guests and feel their energy through your eyes, search YouTube for Compassionate LV Podcast with Will Rucker, and the channel will pop right up. Love and compassion aren't luxuries, they are necessities. Live the golden rule and treat others the way you would want to be treated. Together, we can make a difference. Together, we will make the world a more compassionate place. Know that you are not just a drop in the ocean. You are the entire ocean in a drop. Be well, my friends, and we will meet again on the next episode of Compassionate Las Vegas, the podcast.